Well, it's uh, uh, an absolute joy. It's my first time preaching in this church. I've visited here several times, but I've never been with you on a Sunday morning. So thank you for allowing me to visit. I, I want to pray for you before I share a message from God's Word. Uh, the Bible says the most interesting thing several times. For he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And when I pray today, I'm going to pray for anointing, but not for me and not for my message. I want to pray that God will anoint you, your ears, so that you can hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. If the Holy Spirit preaches here today, then something interesting is going to happen. You're going to be thinking about this on Thursday. If I preach today, you'll forget it by the time you get done having a hamburger and going down the water slide. We want to have an encounter, and we want God to touch our lives and to change us because of our time together. This isn't ritual. This is relationship and alteration every time we we look into God's Word. It makes us different. So let me pray for you, and let me pray for your ears, okay? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your Word. It's alive. It's active. It cuts through the nonsense of our life and, and makes things very plain. Lord, thank you for the fact that uh, where two or more of us gather in your name, you take time out of running the universe to be with us. And we are so grateful that you would join us today. And Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence. And we recognize your authorship of your word. And Lord, we just ask that you would make it plain to us. And God, I just simply ask that you would do what I can't do today. What a sermon can't do, what a man can't do. That as I share thoughts, that you would speak individual messages. That God, you would speak to the realities of hurts and lives and concerns and worries and issues of an upcoming week and problems from the last week. God, that you would just begin to speak to the hearts of men and women and young people the reality of their own lives. So God, uh, help us and join us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our chief communicator today. We have ears and we want to hear what you have to say to us. Thanks for our country. Thanks for another birthday for our country. And God, we need you in this country. We are so desperately in need of you. And I know that that means that we have to engage on a new level, Lord. So please help us be faithful to the land that we love. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. It's a privilege to live in the United States. I just got back from vacation. I was in Canada. It's weird driving around and seeing a big red maple leaf on all the flags. Nice to get over the border and see the stars and stripes and to know that I'm home. What a, what a wonderful thing. The border guard, I'm always glad when they let me back. I love being an American. I love this time of year where we get to celebrate the freedoms that we enjoy and the liberties that we cling to. And on July the 4th, 1776, there was a document that had been penned and all that was left was for 56 men 
to write their names out on the bottom of that document for the Declaration of Independence to be complete. This document is relatively brief, and yet it would have implication across the globe on mankind, the things that were written in that document. The document only has 1,321 words, and it only takes eight minutes to read, and God's name is mentioned four times in that document, twice at the beginning and twice at the end. And the purpose of the declaration was to officially separate us from the repression and the authority of England. And the very act of signing this declaration said to the world, I am a traitor to my native country of England, and I am a criminal, and I am a fugitive of justice from, the, from London. Who were the men who were willing to make that kind of a declaration to the world? Of the 56 men who signed, two of them were in their 20s, 16 were in their 30s, 20 were in their 40s, 11 were in their 50s, 6 in their 60s, and only one, Ben Franklin, was in his 70s. All but two were married. Each of them had an average of six children. They were men of means. They were well-educated. 24 of them were lawyers. Nine were merchants. 14 were farmers. Four were doctors. And one was a preacher. We're not talking about lowlifes. We're not talking about drifters. We're not talking about rebels. We're talking about educated and civilized men who were willing to sacrifice everything that they had and everything that they were for a cause that they believed in. And history shows us that they would pay the ultimate price for their bravery. You'll recall that one of the last paragraph, or in the last paragraph, one of the final lines is, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. The 56 signatures were kept secret for over half of a year because the gallant 56 men who made the promise knew that they were risking so much, they kept this thing locked down for half a year. If they won the fight, the best they could expect were years of hardship and a new struggling nation. And if they lost the war, they would face death as traitors. Thomas Jefferson finished the draft in 17 days, and on July 4, 1776, Congress would adopt it. Of the 56 signers, only a few of them would survive unscathed. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve of them had their homes looted and burned by the enemy. Two had sons that died in the war, and nine died from wounds that they themselves received during the Revolutionary War. Carter Braxton of Virginia signed the Declaration of Independence, and he was a wealthy man. He was a planter and a trader. But following the signing of this document, his ships were destroyed, and he had to pay his debts off. He lost his home and all of his property, and at the end of his life, he died penniless in rags. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served on Congress without pay, and his family was in poverty and in hiding while he was serving. Vandals looted the property of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. 
Thomas Nelson Jr. of Virginia raised $2 million in his own name to help with the war effort. And after the war, he personally paid back all of those loans, wiping out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by the government. He died in bankruptcy. Francis Lewis had his home and everything in it destroyed. His wife was put in prison where she would die. Richard Stockton, who signed the declaration, was captured and mistreated, and his health was mortally broken. His estate was pillaged. And John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and his mill were laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in the forest and in caves. And he returned to his home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, and his property's gone. He died a few weeks later out of exhaustion and a broken heart. 56 men who pledged their lives and their money and their sacred honor so that you and I could sit here today and talk about words like freedom and independence and liberty. Although few of them benefited from their bravery, and most lost everything they owned, not one of them recanted his original declaration on the Declaration of Independence. These men were courageous and valiant and brave, and because of them, others, like us, are living lives that they never, ever dreamed possible in this country. What a great nation. Our declaring independence and embracing freedom has been noted by a world for over a hundred years, 200 years. The Statue of Liberty was given to us because the French admired us so much. They sent us a gift so that we could have this statue standing in a harbor in New York that, that commemorated the hundred years of our freedom and our independence. This 152-foot figure stands on top of a 150-foot pedestal and was shipped to the United States in 1885. It was erected in 1886. Construction began in 1875 and was not completed until 1884. Crews worked around the clock seven days a week for nine years to finish building the Statue of Liberty so it could be gifted to our country. When it was completed in 1885, the statue was disassembled into 350 pieces and shipped to New York City where it was reassembled. It took four months just to put it back together again. The Statue of Liberty was officially dedicated and unveiled October 28, 1886. And on the base of this, on the pedestal, is this inscription. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. These Send these, the homeless, tempts and toss to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Many have looked upon our declaration of independence and our statue with a sense of awe. Not so much as the document, not so much as the stone that is carved into a statue, but what they represent the hope, the freedom, and the opportunity. Those words, when you read them on the base of that Statue of Liberty, 
you can't help but be drawn back into Scripture where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The idea of this invitation is compelling because it addresses the reality of life. There's no theory here. There's no theology here. There's no ethereal kind of thinking here. It's gritty, and it's the part of life that we all understand when you get tired, and you get worn out, and you get beaten down. Jesus said, that's the kind of people, that's who I'm looking for, that's when I'm looking for you, so you can come to me. You don't need to sit around and make yourself good enough to come to Jesus. You just come the way you are, and that's good enough weary and burdened boy those are words that are easy to relate to for all people the recognition that life gets hard it gets difficult and that life can pound on you and that jesus understands that and still holds his hand out and says just come this way just come over here it's amazing because the church is the only place in our lives that we struggle with the reality of saying i'm beat up and i'm tired and i'm broken down i go i i drive all the time i'm in my car driving all the time i'll go through three four tanks of gas a week and when i pull into a service station everybody is standing there with a nozzle in the side of their car and the declaration is i'm empty I need to be filled. I go to a restaurant and people stand in line and we, we talk to some 17-year-old girl so we can have permission to have a seat. And we say to her, can you hurry up and seat me? I'm starving to death. I'm hungry. I need to eat. You go into a clothing store and you say, I need something. I need a new pair of pants. I need a new pair of shoes. Everywhere we go, we declare our need. We're willing to let people know what our need is. And when we come to church, we go, I don't need anything. I'm good. Everything's fine. But when we realize and we recognize and we say, I'm not fine. I'm not okay. There are areas where I'm coming up short. That's what Jesus is focusing on. And when we get real with ourselves like we are at a Chevron station at church, Jesus says, that's a good thing because I just want you to come to me in that state. The Greek in this invitation from Christ has an interesting meaning when he says, I'll give you rest. It describes both physical and spiritual rest. And many times this word was used and it includes the meanings of to settle down, to dwell, to stretch oneself out, to have cheer, to have joy, to be at peace. What an incredible, generous invitation. Don't wait until you've got it all together. Come to Jesus now. You don't go to the shop to get your car fixed when it's running well. You go in there with a problem. You don't go see the doctor just because everything's awesome. You go in there because you need help. What a generous invitation that Jesus is willing to take us when we're broken and bruised and weary and tired, that's the kind of Jesus he is. That's when he wants to see us. Jesus' invitation results in a change in our panic, in our distress, an exchange in our exhaustion, and we walk away with real rest in its place. Trading our burdens for liberty. 
trading our burdens for freedom. Freedom is a fascinating word in the United States of America. I'm so glad that this holiday rolls around so we can take a break from bashing our country and criticizing our country and telling each other what's negative about our country and we can stop and we can remember and we can celebrate and we can thank God for where we live and who we are as Americans. We have done an interesting thing with the word freedom. Freedom has gone through a metamorphosis. It says in Luke 4, 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Freedom. Freedom being proclaimed. In the United States of America, freedom is a big deal to us, and it began with this whole idea, the very origin in our country about freedom is the word freedom of. In 1787, our Constitution was written and sent for ratification to the states. As the ratification process went along, people wanted guarantees of specific freedoms And within a few years, they had drafted the Bill of Rights and they added the first 10 amendments to our Constitution. Freedom of religion. Freedom of speech. Freedom of the press. Freedom of people peaceably assembling. And many other freedoms were written in that we enjoy on a regular basis in this country. Paul reminds us in Romans 13, 4, the government is God's servant working for your good. This first phase of freedom flows out of the Revolutionary War, the Declaration of Independence, and we celebrate it to this day, even this week, freedom of in our lives. But Americans have taken today the freedom of, and they have transferred it over to freedom from. The, the last 40 to 50 years in our country, we have seen a change out of this whole idea of freedom of to freedom from. For many Americans, freedom means to break away from any kind of a restraint in their life, from anybody telling them what they can and can't do, from anybody ever saying no to them, for any law ever hemming them in or telling them what they can't do. For many Americans, freedom means leave me alone and let me do whatever I feel is right. That's my freedom. Freedom that is similar to this finds its way into the Old Testament book of the Judges, 2125. At that time, there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. And can I submit to you that when you don't have a king in your life today, you do whatever you want under the name of freedom? You won't submit to a divine king in your life, and so you're in charge, and you're just doing whatever it is you want to do. And it's all under the title of freedom. True freedom isn't doing whatever I want. True freedom is knowing what's right and wrong and doing what I should do. That's where freedom comes from. Somewhere along the road of freedom, Americans have fallen into the trap of being more focused on our freedom from than our freedom of. In a recent survey, it was indicated that only 13% of Americans still believe in the Ten Commandments. Nine out of ten of our citizens in the United States of America in this survey admitted that they lie regularly. And for $10 million, 7% of Americans said 
that were surveyed said that they would kill a complete stranger. We celebrate freedom from tyranny, but what we have made it is freedom from any rules or any regulations or any boundaries. We celebrate freedom from search and seizure while we select to live a life with compartmentalized and secret rooms where we won't let God in. We celebrate the fact that we are innocent until proven guilty, and yet all the while we are a land of blame shifters where we put the blame on everybody else around us. Freedom from religion has been replaced with freedom from God. And freedom from slavery of another person we have exchanged for slavery of our own sin and our own self. And under the banner of freedom, people are bound up tight in their own sin and their own addictions and their own misgivings. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as free men. Do not use your freedom to cover up evil. Live as servants of God. Many Americans are living actively in the second phase of freedom, wishing for a better day every day while they are shunning everything that can bring true freedom into their life. Why hope for a better day when you're not doing anything necessary to make your life better? your eternity secured. Can you live a better day today without having the eternity question well settled in your heart and in your mind? It wasn't very long ago I was driving down one of our freeways dodging potholes, which is one of my favorite pastimes in Northern California. How many potholes can I miss? I, uh, I, I have a personal best. I blew three tires in a three-week period of time. I was very, very proud of that record, that one tire escaped that, and I've, I've got lots of... One of them, I'd had the tire on my car for a whole week before I blew it out. It was, it was fantastic. It's how I love to spend my money. The rock chip uh, that I developed in my window driving down one of our freeways, I... I I, I googled a, a glass shop and I, 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 I called him and I said, do you do rock chips? And he said, I do. And I said, I'm on my way. So I drove to his shop and I walked in. There was nobody there. It's never a great sign when you're the only customer that's going to this place. But I, I, I went in. I said, I have a rock chip and I need you to look at it. He said, okay. So he came out to my car and he started feeling my windshield. And he said, there's chips all over this windshield. He said, what do you sell? I said, I'm not a salesman. He said, well, you're on the road all the time. What are you? I said, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. He goes, like at a church? I said, that's the kind. He said, you don't look like a pastor. I said, what does your pastor look like? He said, oh, I don't have a pastor. I said, you don't have a pastor? You just know how they look. He said, well, I have one other customer that's a pastor, and he doesn't look like you. I said, can you fix my window? He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, is there life after death? We go from talking about rock chips to eternity. And I said, yeah, there's life after death. He goes, just like that. You know the answer to that question, just like that? 
I go, absolutely. That's not a hard question. He said, how do you know that? I said, give me your hand. So he gave me his hand. I said, you see these fingerprints? They're unique to you. God never made a set like that. Just one time. They belong to you. I said, your DNA is the same way. So is your retina. God went out of his way to make you a -a one-of-a-kind work of art out of the billions of people that have lived on this planet. There's only one like you. And I said, my friend, when you you make a -a one-of-a-kind work of art like God did in you, it's not for 60 years or 70 years or 80 years. That's just a down payment on how long you're going to live. God put so much work and so much effort into you for one reason, it's because he desires to spend eternity with you. Jesus, when he was leaving, said this, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. As a matter of fact, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it wasn't that way, I would have told you. I said, Jesus is actively building places for you and me to live. He goes, you know, I'm not sure I believe in God. I said, that's okay. That's fine. He goes, how do you know that God even exists? Can you believe this conversation I'm having? I just want my window fixed. I said, I said, well, let's do this. Let's pray one more time. Let's pray together. And when I pray, God's going to show up, and you're going to feel him so strong standing right here that you're never going to have to question again if he exists. I said, so are you okay if I pray and God just shows up right here in your parking lot? He said, I'm not okay with that. I said, why aren't you okay with that? He goes, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. I said, why don't you feel comfortable doing that? It's just prayer. He goes, I'm a Muslim. And I just don't feel comfortable with that. I said, okay. Well, I don't want to do something that's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm just trying to answer your questions. I said, how about this? I'll come back in a couple weeks. You think about it. I'll come back in a couple weeks, and we'll just figure out if you're more comfortable with it in a couple weeks. He said, okay. So we fixed my window. I left, and I went back in a couple of weeks. I walked into his shop, and again, I'm the, I'm the only one there. No one else is there. I don't know how this guy stays in business. I said, hey, do you remember me? He goes, yeah, you're the preacher. I said, that's it? That's me. I said, you know why I'm here? He goes, no. Do you have another rock chip? And I said, no. I told you I was coming back, and so here I am, and I want to offer to pray with you. He says, you know what, I just, I just really cannot do that. I said, okay, well, I drive by your shop pretty often, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you every time I drive by. <laughs> Is that okay with you? I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to pray as I'm driving by. And I'm just going to talk to God about you. Is that okay? He goes, yeah, I, I guess. I said, okay. And then one day, see, God's going to start dealing with you. And one day I'm going to stop by here again, and we'll have a different kind of conversation. Would you pray for my Muslim friend? Because one of these days, while I'm getting my glass fixed, I really believe he's going to come to know Christ. You see, freedom of, freedom from, 
But what it all leads to is freedom for. And what we're given is freedom for eternity. Freedom for our lives to change. Freedom for us to be everything God designed us to be. Freedom for me to fulfill the heart and the mind and the plan of what God created me to be. Freedom for. That describes God's eternal purpose. Eternity is so important to every one of us that Muslim men who run glass shops will reach across a hood and hand out a hand so I can talk about how I know eternity is waiting for us. Not just freedom that we celebrate on the 4th of July. Not freedom from stuff so we can do whatever we want, but freedom that we receive when we let Jesus have his role in our lives. Freedom from sin. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from the past. Freedom from drugs and alcohol. Freedom from living a life with no meaning and no purpose and no direction. Freedom from living a life that is empty when it comes to hope for eternity. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You are free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't you let yourself get burdened and wrapped up and knotted up in that junk again. Freedom for a better purpose. Today we celebrate freedom. Freedom of, absolutely. Some of you might be struggling with the freedom from part of things. But here we need to move into freedom for. Freedom of, that takes us back to America's birth. Freedom from describes the mentality of modern America. And freedom for describes God's eternal purpose that's stamped all over you. The reason that freedom even exists is so that you can enjoy it and its benefits for all eternity. Come to me, all of you that are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Physical, spiritual rest. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'd be remiss to deliver this kind of a message to you today. I'd be remiss in inviting the Holy Spirit of God to be here communicating with you about you and then not give you an opportunity to take advantage of the freedom that I've been talking about. It's an amazing thing that God is perfect and holy and yet he loves people who aren't. And that he partners with imperfect people in the accomplishment of his perfect will. It's an amazing thing that God's got room for us. 
but he does. As a matter of fact, the whole thing is aimed at us being with him. Wow. I want to have a word of prayer for you. And if you're here today and maybe you're living in the freedom from and you've just been knocking every boundary and you've been pushing every wall, Or maybe you're here today and you're weary and you're tired and you're burdened. And maybe you're tired and you're weary and you're burdened because of you, because of your choices and your decisions. That doesn't eliminate you. There's no qualifiers on that invitation. It's just if you're pounded on, not how you got there. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you. In my closing prayer, I'd like to pray for you. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed right now. And if you're here today and you say, hey, Brett, I need Jesus to set me free. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to call you up here. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. Because this really isn't about you and me. This is about you and Jesus. All I'm going to do is say a prayer for you. If you're here and you say, hey, Brett, I want you to pray for me. I want to say that prayer with you. Would you just open your eyes and look straight at me and make eye contact with me so I can see you? And when you make eye contact with me, you can go ahead and look back down. Okay, I got people looking at me all across this place. So let's do this. I'm going to say a prayer. And you just quietly right where you're at, just repeat right after me, and I'm going to walk you through this prayer. And then when I'm done doing that, I'm going to say a word of prayer for you. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your invitation that I could come to you when I'm at my worst. I know I've sinned. I know I've made mistakes. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord so I can live in freedom. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for forgiving my sin. Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this holiday that has allowed us to gather and talk about you through the lens of eternal freedom. Jesus, thank you for the supreme sacrifice and price you paid for us to be in relationship with the Father. I pray for my friends, Lord, who just invited you in, that you would walk close, that your voice would be real, and that you would help them. Bring freedom their way. Jesus, they are taking you up on an invitation. And so, Lord, I ask now 
that you would release your rest. Rest on their minds. Rest on their bodies. Rest in their spirits. Rest in their emotions. Rest in their relationships. Rest, 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 rest. In the name of Jesus. Bless this church. Keep this church. Protect this church. Keep this pastor. Protect this pastor. Bless this pastor. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And I love what the Bible says, that when one person repents and gives their life to the Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. So can we rejoice in here this morning? Amen. God is so good.